You ever get a starter kit for something? I remember when I was a kid for Christmas, I got a, a science starter kit. I thought it was going to be really awesome, but it turns out you just can't do too much with a starter kit. You know, we, we did a few little mini experiments, and then you know, you just, you, there's only so far you can go with a starter kit. Well, the gospel is sort of like the starter kit of Christianity. Here's the gospel in brief. You and I, we have offended God with our sin. It, it, it separates us from God, our sin does. We deserve wrath from God for our sin. But God, in His mercy and His grace, He chose to punish His one and only Son, who deserved no punishment, no wrath, with the wrath we deserve for our sin. He died for us in our place. And when you believe that message, God justifies you. He declares you to be righteous by a free gift of His grace that comes to all those who believe. That's the gospel. Now, the gospel is Christianity's starter kit, introductory course. Once we get the gospel down, then we can move on to more advanced topics, like maybe the gospel's the 100-level course, and handling your finances God's way would be a 200-level course. Uh, Parenting and marriage might be a 300-level course. Maybe... uh, Overcoming addiction or sexual sin would be a 400-level course. And then if you, if you master all that, graduate-level courses might be things like understanding God's sovereignty and election, right? Understanding the way your wife's brain works, like... That one wasn't even in my notes. Uh, right, that makes sense, though, right? Christianity sort of gets you in the door... We start with the gospel, but then when we get that mastered, then we can move on to the meat of this thing. That makes sense. It's also exactly wrong. Please disregard it. It's not only wrong, it's dangerous. There's this there's this feeling, this way of, of understanding Christianity. All religion is basically like climbing a ladder through our own efforts to a point where God is okay with us. There's this way of thinking about Christianity like the cross of Jesus Christ just shows us the right ladder. The grace of God just gets us to the right ladder, but then how we climb determines the way whether or not he accepts us. It's what all of the cults do, by the way. Sure, you have to know about Jesus, but it's dangerous. The idea that gospel gets us into this thing, but then we have to move past it to the real teaching, the real meat of this thing for God to accept us 
is exactly what Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians to try to eradicate. We've introduced Paul's letter to the Galatians over the last couple of weeks. Here's what we've learned so far. Paul said that uh, he would be writing about grace and peace. That's the gospel. The gospel is this message of grace, a free gift. That's what grace is. That brings peace. So that the message of the gospel of grace It brings peace between me, a sinner, and God, who's holy. But then, once I understand that grace, that brings peace. That message should bring peace to me. Because when I understand that I am justified by grace, then I'm no longer worried about whether or not God likes me today. Because He accepts me because of His grace. It's grace that brings peace. That's how Paul began. And then, even though usually in Paul's letters, right after his introduction, he would give this this section of, of thankfulness for what the gospel is doing in the churches to, to whom he is writing. That's what he always did. But he didn't do that with the Galatians. Because he's not thankful for what's happening with the gospel in this region called Galatia. He's astounded. This is what we talked about last week. Paul's astounded. He's shocked that so soon they are abandoning God by perverting the gospel. By adding things to the gospel. That's what Paul said. That amounts to abandoning God. Because it's not what God does that makes me acceptable. It's what I do. So Paul writes to defend like the pure gospel, which is the only gospel. And he writes to defend the sufficiency of the gospel. The gospel of grace is all we need to be okay with God. And I mentioned this in verse 1 of the book, and it's where we're going today. But Paul, to defend his gospel, his message, he's forced to defend himself. Today, Paul's going to be defending his resume. Because the false teachers that have brought the perverted gospel to the churches of Galatia, we can tell by what Paul argues, they are saying things like this. Yes, we know Paul showed up here. You know, they start to, to, to proclaim this new and improved message of Christianity. And the people of Galatia start to go, hey, man, uh, that's not what the Apostle Paul told us. And they say, well, yeah, we know Paul came. He came, he's a subordinate apostle. He's not a capital A apostle, right? He has been sent out, but just with Christianity's starter kit. We're glad he came. Yes, you have to believe in Jesus and his cross. Yes, you have to believe his resurrection, but... We're here to take you on to the, to the real meaty subjects you need to know if you're actually going to be in God's good graces. So today, Paul is going to really begin to defend his resume because he needs 
folks to understand why they can trust him. If they reject him, they're going to reject his message. And if they reject his message, they reject God. That's what he said last week in the previous paragraph. So today, Paul's going to basically be answering this question that has to be popping up in these churches. Why should we believe Paul? Why shouldn't we believe these guys who say they're from the home office in Jerusalem? That's what we're going to talk about today and see what we can learn from it. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 11. And these verses read this way. Paul writes, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure, how I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely jealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Verse 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I went away to Arabia, and I returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, uh, we're going to pause right there just to avoid some confusion later. Um, Cephas is Peter, okay? Uh, there was this disciple, the leader among the disciples, his name was Simon, and at some point during Jesus' ministry with these guys, he told Simon, I'm going to rename you, and he renamed him Rock. That was his name. It was never a name. You will now be Rock. Uh, Probably, well, surely, Jesus and his original disciples, Aramaic was like their heart language. You know how you say rock in Aramaic? Cephas. It's probably a hard K sound. It's probably Kephas or something, but everybody says Cephas, so we'll go with that. When the Gospels get written, they write them in, in Greek so that the international language of the day, so the most people can understand them. And the way you say rock in Greek is Petros or, or uh, Petron. It's Peter. Okay? So Paul, he talks about the guy we usually call Simon Peter. He tends to call him Cephas. He only calls him Peter one time. The rest of the time he calls him Cephas. Same dude. And now you know why he has three names instead of just two. All right. So Paul says, three years, it was three years after my conversion before I went to Jerusalem to be, become acquainted with Peter slash Cephas. I stayed with him a couple of weeks, verse 19. But I did not see any other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Okay, 
So we start in verses 11 and 12 there, where Paul, again, Paul's defending himself, but only because he wants to defend his message. And so he starts by saying in something, something in verse 11 we could translate this way, here's something I want you to be 100% certain of. I want, you to be, I want to be perfectly clear about this. And here's what he wants to be clear about. The person that gave me the gospel I preached was Jesus himself. I didn't learn this from people. It's like Paul is saying, surely the person who knows the most about the gospel is Jesus. So shouldn't you listen to someone who was taught directly by Jesus? The question in, in, in these churches is, why should we listen to Paul and not these guys who come from Jerusalem? Paul's first answer is, I got taught the gospel directly from Jesus. That's why you should listen to the gospel I brought you. Next, Paul backs up a bit in his life, and he's going to give a bit of an autobiographical review of his pre-Christian life. Paul knows they have heard this story, but before Paul met Jesus, uh, Paul, usually known by his, his Hebrew name Saul of Tarsus, he was a Christian hunter. He tried, he made it his life's mission to eradicate Christianity from, uh, from the face of the earth. That's who Paul was. A funny thing happened to Paul at work one day. Jesus, who had been crucified and killed, appeared to Paul, introduced himself to Paul. And very quickly, Paul realized, I think I've made some mistakes about this whole Christianity thing. What's, what's interesting to me here is that we might expect Paul to tell the story of meeting Jesus he does that plenty of times in his life and in his writings, but he doesn't do it here. He just tells who he used to be. I used to be Saul, the Christian hunter. And then he jumps right to talking about the purpose for which Jesus came and met him. Doesn't tell the story of the miraculous meeting. He just wants to focus on the reason why God introduced himself to Paul, saved Paul, converted Paul. Remember, Paul's trying to convince the Galatians why they should listen to him and his message of grace and reject the false teachers who talk about things you have to do. And here's Paul's argument. Paul seems to be saying, see, God picked me. God picked me, and there's no logical reason why God would pick me unless it was to emphasize just how gracious God is. God chose a guy who was trying to hunt, arrest, extradite, and hopefully kill Christians to become his chosen apostle to Gentiles. That's what Paul says here. God chose me, set me apart, had this plan from before I was ever born. Let me be Saul the Christian hunter 
then showed up to me, told me how wrong I had been so that I could preach Christ to Gentiles. If there's two kinds of people Saul of Tarsus hated, it was Christians and Gentiles. Paul said, so Paul is saying, you know why you should believe me? Like, because I was Saul of Tarsus, the Christian hunter. And now I'm a missionary to Gentile people. Who do you think could make a change like that in someone's life? There's no logic. I had it all in Judaism. I was a rising star in Judaism, and I turned my back on all of that. Why? So I could become rich and famous? No, I'm constantly getting arrested, flogged, imprisoned, stoned half to death, and hated by all my old friends. God saved me for the purpose of being a walking advertisement of how gracious God is. If it wasn't for God's grace, I wouldn't be here, Paul says. After relating that story, the story of who he had been and the purpose for his conversion, Paul spends the largest chunk of this section discussing the time he spent immediately after he was converted. Paul spends a lot of time in this book uh, asserting his independence from the other apostles, Peter and John and people like that. Not because he's like competitive with those guys. He just hates what the false teachers are doing with it. They say Paul is subordinate to Peter and James and John. He was sent out by people like that, but you know, he got some things wrong. He only brought you the starter kit. Paul says, no, 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 no. That is not the way this happened. They treat Paul like he is sort of a victim of a bad session of the telephone game. You ever play the telephone game where you give a message to this person who tells to that person, and by the time it gets to the end of the room, it's not recognizable anymore? Paul's like, no, I didn't learn this from anyone. Paul says, even after I got converted, I still didn't go consult with flesh and blood. Now, that's a weird thing to call a person, right? That's obviously what Paul is saying. I didn't go talk to flesh and blood. Your translation might make that say like with people. But Paul's being intentional by, by saying that, I think. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, I learned the gospel the same way Peter learned the gospel. Here's why I think that. Peter's the first guy in the Bible, in the New Testament, the first of the disciples to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Here's the story. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to his disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which just means son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Right? You didn't learn that from people. You learned that straight from God. But Jesus uses this word, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. Those stories are well known by the time Paul is writing. So Paul says, hey, I didn't learn from flesh and blood either. I learned this stuff the same way Peter learned this stuff, straight from Jesus. Verse 17, 
I also, I didn't go up to Jerusalem and meet the other apostles. After I was converted, I spent parts of three years, Paul says in Arabia, which is not like the Arabian Peninsula, but anyway, the Nabataean Kingdom, and Damascus. So this isn't maybe necessarily three full years, but parts of three years I spent in isolation. He doesn't tell us what happened during that time. I believe Paul was in Jesus' seminary during that time. I think Jesus met with Paul, taught Paul. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul tells this story very hesitantly. He's like, ah, I hate to even talk about this, but I went to heaven one time. God like took me up there. And it's not something I was told to even talk about, but he admits it because for reasons we can talk about if we talk about 2 Corinthians. But I believe that happened during this time period, though we're not told for sure. Then Paul says, after parts of three years, I went up to Jerusalem and met Peter and James, not the disciple, the apostle James, Jesus's half-brother James, who didn't believe in Jesus during Jesus's lifetime, but by this time was like, we'd call him the head pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And that's it. I was only there a couple of weeks. We're going we're gonna to read in this book of more of these meetings between Paul and the other apostles. Here's Paul's main idea for all of them. Every time I met with these guys, they affirmed, hey, somehow this Paul guy is preaching the same message we preach. Only he didn't hear it from us. Reason? He heard it from the same person we heard it from. You should listen to me because I'm the least likely candidate. You should listen to me because I I learned this straight from Jesus. You should listen to me because even though I didn't get taught by the, the apostles, I wind up teaching the same message they taught. Paul says, I took off after two weeks, went out to Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches in Judea that are in Christ. Here's, he's saying the like sort of second generation Christians, the people who heard the, the, the gospel from the apostles, they populate the churches in Judea. Paul says, I didn't know those people either. But we end the passage by reading of like the early reviews. These are the Yelp reviews of Paul, sort of. The people in these early churches, they just kept hearing the one who, the one who once persecuted us is now proclaiming the good news of the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Here's what Paul's saying there. All of the early Christians, over and over and over, they don't hear about me and go, you know, that's not the original message. They always heard about me and said, wow, that guy who was, who was trying to eradicate the gospel is preaching the pure gospel. He always got five-star Yelp reviews. From the early Christians, they glorified God because of me. That's why you should believe the message I brought. You kind of catch Paul's argument there. I got my message, my orders directly from Jesus. 
You can trust what I say because it comes from Jesus. I wasn't taught by the other apostles. I'm not subordinate to them. I'm an equal apostle just like Peter because I learned the gospel just like Peter. And all of the early Christians over and over agreed that the message I taught was the same message they heard directly from Jesus. That's today's passage. Now, what can we take home from a passage that's basically Paul defending his resume? Are there things we can learn about Paul's message from Paul's defense of Paul? There is. I want to send you home with four things to learn about the message that Paul was defending. And the first one is this. The gospel is a message. It is not advice. The gospel is a message. It's not advice. In some ways, this is the whole reason Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Because there were people in the churches in Galatia who were confused or who were deceived about this. They're trying to turn Christianity into advice to be followed when it's actually a message to be believed. And there's a big difference there. Christianity is not a philosophy, a moral code. And it's not advice. It's not advice about what you should do, what you better do, what you hadn't ought to do. Primarily, it's, it's a message. It's good news to be believed. That's what the false teachers have been teaching for 2,000 years. Yes, you need to believe Jesus. Yes, you need to believe he died on the cross. We accept that. But let me tell you what you'd better do. Let me tell you what you better avoid. Or you're not going to be accepted by God in the end. Paul wants people to believe the message more than follow some advice. That's why I say at the beginning that the gospel's not the starter kit for Christianity or the entrance exam that gets you onto the right ladder. It's not. It's the whole university, the gospel is. Now, can the gospel inform me, instruct me? On lots of different areas in my life? Oh, absolutely. And it should. Can the gospel um, influence my, the way I handle my money? My parenting? My marriage? The way I try to overcome sin and addiction? Yes, of course. But all of those things had better be seen as the way the gospel works its way out of my heart and into my life, or I will wind up with legalism. Remember, legalism is that false idea that I can become more in God's eyes by my behavior. If any of those topics are separated, are attacked, separate from the gospel of grace, I will wind up 
parenting legalistically. Where my kid's behavior determines whether or not I accept him or her. I will have a legalistic marriage where I have I have expectations I have a, a bar of behavior that my, my spouse had better clear consistently and if not I have the right to condemn to withhold to punish we're not we're not pursuing the God, the holy God who accepts us by grace together. No. One of us, usually, or both of us, we've got things the other one must do if we're going to get along. I'll be legalistic in the way I handle my finances. Hey, I found this place in the Bible where God mentions a tithe. That means as long as I give away 10% of my income, I can do whatever I want with the rest of my money. And we could do this all day. The gospel is what is supposed to become our life our lifestyle that informs all of these other things. Paul defended himself so he could defend the message because the message is the faith. Now, the gospel is a message but the gospel is a message from a person who changes people. In this passage, Paul relates a little part of his story, his testimony, when he literally met the risen Jesus, and Paul was never the same. What changed Paul was the amazing grace of God, where God could accept Paul before Paul changed anything. When God accepted Paul, Paul was actively hunting Christians. And Jesus showed up and said, you are mine right now today. Jesus did not show up. Read Acts chapter 9, it's not in there. He did not show up and say, now, I'd like to, to roll with you now, Paul, but we'll see how you respond. Paul knew more than anyone how to apply the law legalistically. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul had done so much religiously good stuff in his life, I think he had convinced himself he was good. Then he met Jesus and instantly realized, I'm not good. And I'm not close. Now, once Paul was accepted by, by God, did Paul go back to trying to climb his way up that ladder so high enough to where God would like him? No! 
Because when Paul understood the holiness of Jesus Christ, he knew there was no chance he could do that. But did Paul change? Yes. He was never the same. Paul was changed because God showed up and accepted him by his grace. Called him to be his own. Did not come to condemn him, to kill him for his unrighteousness, which he had plenty. That's why the heart of Paul's message from then on became the doctrine of justification by grace. But Jesus changes people. In all these Galatians passages and sermons, when Paul blasts away at legalism, please don't hear Paul or me saying that the gospel is something we can agree with, sort of stick in our back pocket. No, we will get to heaven after we die, and then nothing needs to change, because that's not true. Do you know how we know? Paul, (laughs) the guy who was so fervently defending this grace, this message of grace, is also the guy who said, if you think grace gives you a license to sin and sin and sin, you've missed something terribly. May it never be. When Paul met Jesus, Paul changed. When I met Jesus, When I gave my life to Jesus, it started me on a path of changing that's still not done. Meeting Jesus, submitting to Jesus, understanding and trusting that the way Jesus says following him looks like is actually what's best for me, that changes people. But I'm not so sure we always believe that. The people Paul's fighting against in Galatians didn't believe that. They didn't believe the gospel would be enough to change people, did they? You know what they thought was needed before people would change? Our rules. Our pressure. The fear that comes from not measuring up. That's what they think needs to change people. We haven't changed. Do we really believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit we are indwelt with when we believe? Do we really believe meeting Jesus Christ changes people or do we think our pressure must? Our expectations must. If we do as a church, I promise you eventually we will establish a culture where what we will actually be trying to do is to invite people here to be conformed to us. When I parent this way, What I'll actually be doing is trying to get my children to conform to me. 
If my marriage gets to be this way, I will be trying to get my spouse to become more and more like me. And I don't know if you're aware, but that's not the goal. Jesus gets way better results. If we're going to give Jesus control of our lives, like if we're going to accept him, like we sang this morning, Hosanna, you're the king. Save us. You save me. If we're going to proclaim him king over our lives, can we trust him with them? That is a question the gospel asks. Can we trust him with our loved ones? Can we trust him to help us be a friend who is gracious? Be a churchgoer who is gracious? Be a dad or a mom who is gracious? Be a spouse who is gracious? Not, not permissive, not enabling, but gracious. Can his grace start to change me in the way I confront, in the way I live, in the way I accept? Third, I think we should still expect God to do this. Maybe this is why Paul left his miraculous experience of meeting Jesus out of this. We should still expect God to pursue people, to introduce himself to people in the ways he does, and change people radically. Do you believe God still does that? Or do you think God really only works on the people who are already sort of like me? Sort of pretty mostly moral. Does God reach people who are far from God? He does. He does. Or you'd be looking for a pastor right now. Paul would write to the Ephesians later that God saves people to the glory of his grace so that people see how gracious he is. That's why he picked Paul. When we make it seem like we're Christians because of what we do, I'm not sure we become great advertisements for his grace. Finally, God uses changing people. God's purpose in changing Paul is the same purpose he has in changing you and changing me because God introduces himself to people, he changes people, and then he sends them out to impact a dark world. God will change you if you let him. Sometimes, like in Paul's case, he'll change you whether you want him to or not. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, where I understand rotten, filthy as I was and am, 
he accepted me right there. And he loved me. And he wants me. And he likes me. And when I mess up, he just wants me to come and tell him about it. He already knows. He doesn't want me to stay away. He actually wants me to understand accepting people who are, who are kind of knuckleheads sometimes is the business we are in, kiddo. God uses changing people. So how about this? How about we start focusing on letting the gospel of grace change us? Let us really focus on how much better he is than me and how he still loves me just the same. That that would begin to color our conversations with our friends, our coworkers, our kids, our spouses. Because we should still expect God to be doing what God has always done which is use changing people to reach other people who are far from God to the glory of his grace. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the, the life of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the reminder that if you could accept someone who is actively trying to kill Christians, you can accept me too but you won't leave me where you found me. God, you, you will take us where we're at, but you won't leave us there. God, it is hard for us to believe, though, that you will change people without our manipulation or pressure or help us, help us, Lord to wade through the difficult work of figuring out how to walk graciously beside other changing people. Without enabling sin, without looking the other way and pretending sin isn't sin. It's really hard for us, Lord. But we know uh, that that's the business you are in. It's the business you've always been in. And we still expect you to do amazing things in using changing people, people you are changing, to love on people who are far from God, that they might understand God will accept them through faith and justify them completely. Help us believe the message more than we offer advice and change us to your glory, the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Just stand with us and finish our time together.